0: With all that's happening, brethren, in the church and the growth of the work, and you've heard about all our new stations that Mr. Ames just mentioned, the growth, of course, in the inspiration network in Britain, the inspiration Network over here, and other things, and the events are happening in the world. I thought with all our visiting ministers were here, and not having spoken on prophecy for quite some time, I would try to give you an overview, a perspective, of the near future. Where are we headed? In the near future, where is your life headed? Where is the world headed? Where is the work headed? Turn with me back to Proverbs, first of all. A very familiar scripture, but I'd like to go back there. Proverbs chapter 29. God tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 18 Where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, we have to have an understanding of the purpose of the great God and all these things we're going through. And God does give us that understanding and He does give us vision. And we do need to understand, we do need always to see the big picture and understand God's purpose. I wish I had five hours to cover that rather than an hour and 15 or 20 minutes. Of course, we'd all take four or five sermons or sit ten or whatever to discuss all this. But I want to give you an overview of many of the key things in that regard. So we have to think about uh, where we're going. And I want to give you some of the ideas about where I perceive the church of God and our lives are headed over the next several years. The Los Angeles Times, when I was out there uh, recently, had this clipping. And I want to uh, uh, tell you about it. I I can... uh, uh, I, oh, it's a, yes, it's in the co-worker letter. How many have got the co-worker letter, by the way? And if you got it yet? We sent it out a couple of days ago. I guess nobody's got it yet. Just the ministers were given the co-worker letter, but I'm quoting from my own letter. No wonder I couldn't find the clipping. <laughs> from the Los Angeles Times, August 19th, we read, Steppen Thaler of 25 of Innsbruck, Austria, came to Cologne this past week, you know, to see the World Youth Activities with Pope Benedict XVI. And he said he was delighted, quote, was delighted to see Benedict and his promotion of a universal church. Quote within the quote, here it is possible to experience the world church. World church, this young man said. I find that fascinating, he said. This is a time for new starts. End of quotation. Do we have a world church? Of course, the Catholic Church has claimed to be the world church all along. But they're beginning to emphasize that theme more and more. And I think we're going to realize how important that is over the next several years, but because it is going to affect all of our lives. And I think we understand that. We need to understand it. Turn to 2 Thessalonians, if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And here is what God describes about that coming time. Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, Christ is coming again to this earth as king of kings and lord of lords concerning that concerning that event he says i ask that you and uh, our gathering together to him we ask you not to be soon shaken don't be upset or troubled either by spirit by some demon or any other kind of spirit or by word or by letter as if from us false letters may have already been circulating claiming to come from paul as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the Greek word used here is apostasia, S-I-A, apostasia, of course, we just translated apostasy or falling away, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Perdition means destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself, Before the end of the age there's going to be a man who exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. We know that an individual has acted like that for the past several hundred years. Some of them more, some of them less. The final one will no doubt do it with even greater power and even greater dramatics, and even greater emphasis. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He said, look, folks, I warned you personally that this type of thing was going to happen. Be aware. For the mystery of lawlessness, I'm reading from the New King James, and that's the correct translation. The Greek word is anomos, many against law. We're not talking about traffic laws, we're talking about God's law. The worldly churches water down God's law. They claim to believe in Christ, but they deny virtually everything He taught. They do not believe in God's law, which is the entire basis of God's character. They say it's done away and nailed to the cross. Paul did away with it. Have all kinds of excuses as why they don't need to literally keep it. They say you can't keep it. They won't admit that Christ does keep it in you through His Spirit to the degree you yield to Christ. A mystery, a mystery system has existed. Ever since the great Babylon religion grew up clear back at the time of Nimrod. And that mystery system has come right down through ancient Egypt, ancient Babylon, ancient Persia, the great nations of the earth. And it came to a particular church in what is called the Dark Ages. And they adopted wholesale practice after practice and belief after belief that originated in ancient Babylon. Many historians have acknowledged that over and over. Well, and Ariel Durant and their writings on world history have acknowledged that. Some of you read the chapter or the part of the book The Da Vinci Code which brings that out very carefully. Many other books, of course. The Two Babylons. That's the name of it. The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop is one of the best. That ancient mystery system teaching lawlessness, breaking God's law is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, this final one, whoever he is. Some have said that they think the present Pope is the one. He could be. We don't know that. We must not guess or conjecture. We do not know that. We've got to watch. We've got to pray. We've got to be sure. Let's not jump the gun. But if we see that man beginning to bring down fire amidst a huge crowd someday right in St. Peter's Square, which could happen several years from now in a most dramatic way or other miracles like that and that very kind of miracle is described as you know in Revelation chapter 13 about the second beast the second beast Revelation 13 verses 11 to 13 some man's going to do that very kind of thing wow that's going to shock the world boy they're going to believe this is the great power of God and yet God has prophesied and warned us about that don't follow that kind of man. Follow whoever teaches God's law and God's way. Isaiah eight twenty to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, there's no light in them. The true ministers of God have always performed miracles of genuine healings, normally in a quiet way, in a sincere way, not showing off crucifixes shining in the dark and apparitions of the Virgin Mary, who is not a virgin but went on to have a whole bunch of children. Four of her sons' names are mentioned beside Jesus' name, and daughters. He had sisters, plural. So she had at least seven children, yet they persist in calling her the Virgin Mary. Well, I honor my mother. I'm not trying to see something dishonorable, but I don't call her the Virgin Mildred (laughs) any more than we should call Mary the Virgin Mary. She had me and my sister Patricia and my little sister, who's still with us here, Mrs. Ames, So she was not the virgin Mildred, and she was an honorable married woman, as God intends for most men and women to be, to be married and be in that state. But this man is going to come and sit in a religious building, showing himself, giving himself titles like God. Paul warned them of that. Only he who now restrains will. And then the lawless one will be revealed and notice it leads right up to Christ's second coming whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth. At Christ's second coming He will destroy that man. That is the end of that man, whoever sits in that final office. How does the outcome? It's going to look real good for a while. Very powerful individual. Tremendous adulation. I've told you this story many times about how I saw Pope Pius XII and Costal Gandolfo there in his the summer palace in the square and how the people were screaming, the women were shaking and crying. And when he finally stepped out on the balcony after they built it up and built it up and built it up and got the crowd excited, they went crazy screaming and crying and shaking because their God had appeared on that balcony. And they treated him like a God. God says you're to worship Him. The first and great commandment is to have no other gods before the true God and to worship God with all your heart and strength and mind and soul. Every other commandment is less than that. So many Protestants say, oh, the main thing is just to go to church and obey the golden rule, that is, love your neighbor. No, the main thing is to know and to love the true God. If you don't know that, if you don't know that God and walk with Him and serve Him, then you will never be able to love your neighbor the right way you won't fully grasp the fact that every human being is made in God's image and you won't grasp what is involved in our human life and our purpose and you cannot and will not be able to love your neighbor the way God wants you to unless you obey the first commandment first. The first and great commandment is to love God and worship Him and put no other God before that God. But the lawless one will be consumed by Christ and destroyed at the brightness of His coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Is this man going to come up all around real quietly and not make a great impression? No, he's going to make a massive impression, a dramatic impression, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perished, because they did not receive the love of the truth. That's the key, brethren. Where is the truth? Who is teaching what Jesus Christ actually taught? As you know, Jesus said to the young man, who said, what's the way to eternal life? If you would enter life, keep the commandments, plural, and begin to spell some of them out. Jesus said, as you know, back in Matthew 5. I don't have that here in my notes, but I'll turn to it. I better not paraphrase it. I might stumble a little bit in quoting it exactly. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in verse 19, whoever there breaks one of the least of these commandments, and through this chapter he names the Ten Commandments, some of them, and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That is, if he even gets there. Other scriptures show he won't even get there unless he repents. But whoever does and teaches them even the least of the commandments, he shall be called great in the kingdom of, not kingdom in heaven, but kingdom of heaven. So this coming man will not teach the truth. He will talk about Christ He will talk about the Blessed Virgin and get people to worship this false idea. The true Virgin Mary, the true Mary, I should say, the Bible will be embarrassed about her and will be embarrassed when she's resurrected as a very wonderful, honorable lady and realize how her name has been misused by these pagans. But they have deceived people with all unrighteous deception because they did not receive the love of the truth. How much do we love the truth? That's the key, the truth. Jesus said John seventeen seventeen, thy word, the Bible, is truth. This is ultimate truth. And this makes God's purpose very plain when you read it carefully and understand it. Has no contradictions. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. God allows them to get in delusion. God allows man to go his own way for this six thousand years of human history before Christ comes back during the thousand years of His reign and then people will understand that they should believe the lie that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth again coming back to the truth the truth where is the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness I know, brethren, and I know your ministers coming in from all over the world, you'll have lots of people get discouraged. And when they see these big things happening in the world, they see this great massive church growing in power and influence and huge pageantry and music and literally hundreds of thousands and millions of people flocking to this. And they're in a little tiny church that seems to be nowheresville. (laughs) They're going to get discouraged. Where is the truth? Who wins in the end? Well, we've already read how this man's going to be destroyed by Christ at His coming. But in the meantime, wow, this guy gets to do some exciting things. But then all of a sudden, it's over. It's really over. And he's completely destroyed and cast into the lake of fire as we read back in Revelation 19, the last few verses, along with the coming beast, the coming Hitler, together together, They're cast into the lake of fire. That is their end. So we want to get the big picture. We want to have the vision and understand. In Revelation 17, turn with me to Revelation chapter 17, here we find this whole system described that came right down from ancient Babylon. Here he says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that is the seven last plagues, he came and talked with me, saying, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great whore, the great harlot, who sits on many waters. And back in verse 15, he says, or verse 18, the woman whom... I'm sorry, verse 15, I think, is the... Better find this where I want to quote. Verse 15, The waters which you saw, the Bible interprets the waters, right here, verse 15, where the harlot sits are... Here's the waters. Peoples, many different nations multitudes, nations, and tongues. Many different nations speaking different languages are sat upon by this false woman. And as you know, the term woman is used many times in the Bible as a symbol for a church. So here is a great false church called a whore and with whom the kings of the earth, back again to verse 2, have committed fornication. They've had all kinds of illicit relations with that woman. And the woman gets into politics and into wars and has had a great deal to do with armies and butchery and torture and persecution. So he carried me away and I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast. She's sitting on the beast. Always remember some of the great Protestant so-called great prophecy students several years ago said, oh well, the beast is the Chinese. Or they'd say the beast is the Arab nations when they became very powerful many years ago. Or the beast is the Russians. And the Russian Confederation. Mr. Armstrong never buried from that. No, the beast is in Central Europe where the woman has always been. The woman rides the beast. There's another man in some Church of God split who says the United States is the beast. (laughs) That's kind of interesting because we're kind of very independent and Protestant and so forth. But people come up with all kinds of funny ideas. The woman rides the beast. And the beast was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, the color of royalty and the color scarlet of harlotry. And adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And it says on her forehead, a name was written, mystery, a mystery system. They babble foreign languages often in their rituals. They go through rituals great big costumes and singing and the tinkling of bells and walking around. But they don't have the truth. That's the point. Who has the truth? Where is the truth? Who is preaching what Jesus preached? Mystery. Babylon. The very word Babylon means confusion. Babylon the great. The mother. She's a mother church. The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she is responsible for a great deal of error and a great deal of suffering. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. You read the history of the Middle Ages. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And he wondered with great admiration, showed how this beast then began to rise up in heaven, seven heads and ten horns. We've described so many times. Seven resurrections of the ancient Roman Empire. The final resurrection composed of ten nations at the very end. And he says in verse 14... The beast that was and is not is himself the eighth, the final system, going back to the original uh, uh, Rome. Then you have seven resurrections. So the final resurrection is the eighth system and is going into destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, ten final kings, ten final nations in the area of Europe, no doubt. Not Russia, not China. Ten kings, ten leaders who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour. From God's point of view, it's going to be very short. But brethren, as you see these things happening, and that power seems to last five or seven or eight years before finally Christ intervenes, you'll think, boy, that's a long time. I'm getting worried. What's going on? It seems very short from God's point of view of eternity and from the point of view of the last 6,000 years of human history. So we have to, again, have vision have the mind of God and have understanding but these kings receive authority for one hour with this coming dictator this coming king, leader and these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast remember Adolf Hitler of course we feel was the next to the last one But the other nations did not give their power and authority to him. He went around and he crushed Poland. He crushed Czechoslovakia. He crushed the Belgians, the Dutch, the Danes, the French. He conquered them forcefully. They did not give their authority. He took it. These final men will give their authority. And, of course, that has begun to happen in Europe with the beginnings of the United States of Europe, a European Empire... And people kind of smirk, some of them who don't understand, saying, well, I've got up to 25 nations. Where are your 10 nations going to come about? Now I think we know a little bit better. They didn't ratify the Constitution. It's falling apart. They have to start all over again. The final 10 nations will be 10 nations, finally. Maybe start out more or less, but they will be 10 in the end and there will not be a great Britain among them the British people are the descendants of the ancient tribe of Ephraim a son of Joseph to whom the great birthright promise was given and they've had the lands all over the earth and the great sea gates they will not be not be part of the beast period I'm sticking my neck out on that but not really because the Bible makes that pretty plain and we need to understand that a lot of even the church of God people they get mixed up and they're not sure of this and they're not sure of that well, we can be sure of certain things because of what the Bible says. And we should be. So it's going to be very exciting to watch these nations bit by bit come together. And they're not going to come together through some conquering, but peacefully. Then chapter 18, we go on here after these things. He sees another angel coming down with great glory, crying, Babylon has fallen, fallen, and has become a habitation of demons. A prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The symbolism is carrion birds, the birds that eat the flesh. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And brethren, when you understand it, even the nations of China and India have in their religious ritual all around the world, Buddhism. They have the egg. And they'll have things like the Christmas tree and they'll have the Yule type thing. They'll have all kinds of things similar to the modern pagan Christmas and Easter because it all came from ancient Babylon, you see. But it evolved different places in different ways in different places. So all nations have got a lot of these wrong ideas from that original Babylon. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication. The ancient kings had to align themselves with that system to survive for hundreds of years during the Dark Ages. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And in the next several years, you're going to see great trading blocks form with this Catholic system at the core, trading with Central and South America, the 400 million Catholic peoples in those areas. And there will be a very great... They will prosper because of this system. They will take over areas of Africa and get the natural resources. They will take over as best they're able various nations in in uh, the Middle East, of course. And you know our prophecies on that and how they're going to move down there and eventually take over Jerusalem. And the Pope has already offered his good offices to try to bring the two parties together and to make Jerusalem a neutral city, a holy city or whatever, but under the guidance of the Vatican. They're going to do a lot of things. It'll be interesting to watch this whole thing come together, but there's a big overall vision, and God gives us that vision, and that is exactly the way it's going to be. I heard another voice saying, Come out of her, my people. And brethren, many of us still watch a lot of television, a lot of movies, listen to a lot of music that comes right straight from the bowels of hell, if I may say so. It's just damnable. Filled with violence, perverted sex, emphasis on get, 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 more, more, more over and over and over. And if you watch that stuff, you begin to reflect that in your thinking and your attitude toward fornication, you young people, because you see people kissing and loving and starting to have sex right on the movies and see X-rated movies, they don't even stop there. But you see these things over and over and pretty soon your mind gets seared. You think, well, that's not bad. And often the devil very cleverly makes jokes. They They have humor, you know, connected with stuff like that. And especially if they have an old-fashioned preacher, you know, in the plot, then they put him down. He's made the jackass. Hollywood calls it literally the jackass formula. They make him look like a donkey and make him look crazy, stupid. He stumbles over himself on the way out the door, (laughs) literally, in some of their scripts. You know how they do. They put down terribly anyone who would try to teach the truth. So he says, come out of this system. And a lot of us are affected by this system. I know many of our young people in the church used to listen to rap music and they scream and talk about how they'll kill their mother and they go this and that just screaming and yelling. It has no hot melody, no harmony, no nothing. Just vile, perverted words, jabbering, jabbering, jabbering. And they call it music. It's part of Babylon. But this whole get-get system is part of Babylon. And the great merchants are affected by it. Verse 11, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn when the system is thrown down, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. They're going to hate it. They're part of it. Right up to their eyeballs. The Tysons and the Croops, all these great merchant families of Europe, Europe, they jump right in the lap of Adolf Hitler. Right along with it. They liked it. They were part of it. They're going to be right there again. Don't kid yourself. They will. He says in verse 23 the latter part, "...for your merchants were the great men of the earth, powerful industrialists, powerful military and political leaders. For by your sorcery, all the nations, not some brethren, I think we don't often realize, we think this system is just in Europe, but it's going to affect all the nations all over the earth in a very powerful way. All the nations were deceived." and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth because that system has brought the devil's way of life into society and so in that way it's indirectly responsible for all the deaths and all the wars and all the suffering so we need to understand this system and be sure that we grasp it that we're aware of it that we come clear out of it in every way that we can and we help our brethren here in the United States and Canada and Britain I don't mean a brethren in the church, but our fellow human beings in the Philippines, in Africa, Asia, South America, all over the world. Come out of her, my people. God warns all who will listen. Let's turn now to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, brethren, and see a little bit of the time order here and how it's involved in all of this. Matthew chapter 24. And uh, going to begin as we often do in verse 3. Try to find my my tea down here. Most of your brethren visiting know I have my tea with a little bit of honey so it soothes my throat. (laughs) In Matthew 24, 3, and Matthew 24 gives the best overall chronological flow of prophetic events here in the New Testament plus the book of Revelation. Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Not 70 A.D. or the destruction of the temple. That was just a tiny type, the end of the age. And as you read on, Jesus clearly talks about that. Not some events 2,000 years ago, but of a time when, unless God intervened, no flesh would be left alive. When there are atomic and hydrogen bombs And gas and nerve warfare and all kinds of bacteriological warfare and things that could literally wipe out humanity. And so he goes on to describe this. False prophets arise, many coming in Christ's name. They use Christ's name, but they have a false Christ and a whole false concept of everything God has in mind. And they will deceive many, not a few, the vast majority of people that claim to follow Christ are deceived. Verse 5 then wars and rumors of wars, and then nation against nation, chapter 24, verse 7, and then a different Greek word, "basileia," kingdom against kingdom, world war, groups of nations. And then he goes on to describe other things, famines, terrible lack of food, vast areas of the American West are experiencing the worst drought in history, or in modern history, some of the worst they've ever been able to find, using the tree rings, vast areas of Australia. Terrible forest fires are raging in Portugal and other parts of Europe, and yet at the same time, horrible floods are taking place in parts of France and Switzerland right now, as you read in the morning paper. Alternating drought and flood. My wife and I had to go, the opportunity to go with Mr. and Mrs. Felber to see some of those areas just this past spring and go up to the Jungfrau and right below Uh, the Jungfrau, Brienz, and some of these cities are now flooded terribly, which we saw several weeks ago. Pestilence, disease epidemics, they're coming. And you know how the scientists are now saying anywhere from 120 to 360 million people could perish if a full-scale epidemic breaks out of this avian flu. That would be something unprecedented in modern times. And that has been in my coworker letter, quoting from, of course, scientific sources. Pestilences and earthquakes. We haven't had any terrible earthquakes in the United States, but my brethren, they are going to happen. And they're not just going to happen off in China or somewhere else. They're going to happen here. And it's important we understand that. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you, and he's talking about us, God's people up to tribulation and kill you. God will allow some of us to die. I think the death of our brethren in Milwaukee was indirectly that. We can't be sure of every detail. But Satan singled us out and struck us. He knew where God was working. He struck God's people in a horrible way there in Milwaukee. But it's going to be more direct and understandable, I'm sure, as time goes on. And you will be hated, who? You, the true servants of God. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And as I've explained, if some of you visiting ministers don't hear all the tapes because you're often preaching somewhere else or any new brethren are here, I've said several times that when he says all nations will hate us, the true church, it means that somehow, somewhere on this earth is a true church of God that is doing a work that by the end, it's not that way now, but it becomes so powerful that they know where we are so they can hate us. They can't hate us now. They don't even know that we exist. You know that. We're so tiny, hidden away in a little hired hall here in Charlotte and the hundreds of thousands of people rushing up and down the highways around here don't even know we're here, but they will. They will. And if we give ourselves to God unreservedly, and we go all out, God will lift us and lift this work and the impact that we have far above what we humanly can do. It will not be us doing it. It will be Jesus Christ doing it through His church, His body. And let us be that body. Let us so dedicate ourselves to being the true servants of the true God at the end of the age that we can have that honor Some of us will be tortured. Some of us will be beaten up and thrown in jail. Some may die before the end. Yes, some have already. But God can and will use us and we will have an everlasting reward far beyond those who try to sit on their hands. Far beyond those who try to be in a comfortable place doing nothing. So let's understand that. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, betray one another, hate one another, many because lawlessness this whole attitude of fornication, adultery same sex marriage people smirk and oh well doesn't make any difference drugs, drunkenness wild parties goes on and on and gets worse and worse they put more and more Jerry Springer shows on the television and Dr. Ruth on the radio and all these other characters our society does nothing and so it's going to get worse before it gets better We may have Hillary as our next president. I think you need to understand that. Who's going to be the next president of the United States? I don't know. I'm just saying watch and pray. (laughs) It's something to think about. The Clintons were one of the greatest disgraces that has ever come on the presidential scene. And when President Clinton got reelected the second time, Dr. James Dobson, whom I respect, you know, focused on the family, he said, that very fact shows us something that something is terribly wrong with the moral understanding of the American people, knowing how perverted that individual was. They elected him president of the United States a second time after they had every opportunity to know what they were doing. Would they now elect his wife? Very possible, if not probable. And then the smirks, And the laughs of the liberals and the growing sex parties and drug parties and let's do our own thing would grow. And our young people would see it and pick up on it even more than they are today. It could sweep over this nation. It wouldn't take too long because a lot of it's sweeping over the nation already. If that happened in the autumn of 2008, three years from this autumn, two or three years after that, we might find a nation very different from what we're experiencing today. Now, let's understand that and watch these things. So we do need to understand and be watching and be praying. Now, brethren, let's go back at this point uh, to Luke, if you would. The Gospel of Luke, verse 21. He gives the other account of what we call the Olivet Prophecy. In Luke 21, beginning verse 7, they ask Him, Teacher, when will these things be? And he says the same thing. Watch that you're not deceived by false ministers. There are going to be commotions and wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes. Here he calls them great earthquakes. More powerful than perhaps have ever been in modern history, in various places, and famines, pestilences, disease epidemics. And there will be fearful sights. And the Greek word, as I've explained, you look it up in commentary, some of them show this, it means terrors. It certainly includes terrorism. This is what is beginning to happen now, terrorism. Will we have another horrible terrorist attack here? I'm sure we will. I can't believe that we will not. Most of our government officials are surprised themselves that there has been one already. You know that. They say they're preparing something genuinely big to rival the 9-11 thing, and that's one reason they're taking their time. Will they blow up half of New York City? Will a container ship come into Los Angeles Harbor? Here they get these little old American ladies and sort of halfway strip-search them and embarrass them at all these airports, and they let millions of tons of stuff come in to our ports and they could have whole atomic and hydrogen bombs to blow up the whole city of Los Angeles, New York, Seattle. They're not trying to stop it. It's kind of hypocrisy. They know better and the government officials, but somehow they think that'll do some good. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. I guess something is better than nothing. But this is happening. Many articles by the experts on that show that that is happening, and they could do it that way or any number of ways. I'm not giving them any information. (laughs) They already know. I'm not an expert on that. They know that already. All the terrorists. And they can sure do it the job. Terrible things. Terrors. And great signs from heaven. And so he then shows there's persecution going to come first. And he says then over in verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, moon, And in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and waves roaring. That's all going to happen more, brethren, at the time of the end, at the on the headlines of today's paper, this morning, right in our city, you find here Katrina kills seven and the worst or is the worst still to come. And they're saying on the radio even later in the morning that it is already appearing to strengthen not from a Category 1 but to a Category 3 or Category 4 storm which would be much, much worse and it might end up being the worst one they've had even yet and hit as far west as New Orleans or as far east as Pensacola they can't be sure. Associated Press during the barrage of hurricanes that hit Florida in the past year the greatest barrage by the way in modern history four in a row Miami-Dade and Broward counties were among the few spots that were spared significant damage. Hurricane Katrina changed all that. Katrina killed seven people down power lines and trees and left behind a soggy mess in South Florida. Now the storm is churning in the Gulf of Mexico on a path to make landfall anywhere from the Florida panhandle to Louisiana as early as Monday. So we have to watch and pray and ask God to guide it for good and protect our people and help His people get out of there. Possibly as a Category 4 storm with winds more than 130 miles per hour. So the newscaster, much after this was written, this has to be, they have to put the paper to bed as they call it the previous night. So around 1 o'clock this afternoon I heard the newscast and they're saying it is indeed increasing in power. Looks like it will become Certainly Category 3, I think it is already, but possibly Category 4 storm, which would be terribly powerful and perhaps kill thousands of people. We don't know. But these things will happen. That's the point. Not to be an alarmist, but it's good that we understand that. We need God's protection. God has allowed some of our dearly beloved ministers and others to die, but hundreds have not died and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people in the world will die as a result of these things. And as you know, finally God chose one-third of the entire earth, and then later on one-fourth of the entire earth. It's kind of unimaginable what's going to happen. And what we've experienced so far might seem like a Sunday afternoon picnic. So he says, The sea and the waves roaring. I'm sure that would sound very familiar to the people in Florida, and in Mississippi, and Alabama, and Louisiana right now these things are not over with Katrina that's just the early beginnings and we do need to grasp that fact now let's go to Leviticus 26 Leviticus as you know has what is called in the Bible what we call a dual prophecy it certainly was a prophecy for our forefathers in ancient Israel but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever and he's going to do again these same things And he says, if you keep my commandments and my statutes, in verse 3, and uh, perform them, then I'll give you rain in due season, you'll eat your bread to the full, all the wonderful things. But, verse 14, if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes. And Mr. John of Gwyn, I want to give him credit. He's the one that focused us. We've always known this prophecy and talked about it. Mr. Armstrong was talking about it before I ever came to college back in 1949. But just to emphasize the fact that our nation not only doesn't do it, but our nation and Britain and Canada despise. There's an attitude of despising and making fun today of anyone who would oppose same sex marriage, would oppose homosexuality, would oppose, you know, young couples living together. What's wrong with that? You uptight? What's wrong with you? That's the attitude. They despise God's commandments and statutes. Or if your soul abhors my judgments, but break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will appoint over you terror. Terrible things that certainly includes terrorist activities. That's the first thing God mentioned. Terror. And you will have wasting disease and fever. Disease epidemics. And he goes on to describe then, uh, later, you shall loathe your seed in vain, your enemy shall eat it. And other statements about not having enough food. drought, famine, disease epidemics, finally wars. Those things are prophesied by God to happen to Israel when they turn away from God. And God is the same as He did to our forefathers. He will do to us. He says down in verse 18, And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times or sevenfold, as many of the translations have it, more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. We've had a great deal of pride in our power. And some of it's the right kind of national pride, I guess, to a degree. I know when I was in high school, and even now I take pride in the American flag. I'm thankful for what God gave us. And I was an officer in the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And we used to stand and play the various marches and taps at the end of the day and take down the flag and chills would go up and down my spine. And at the football games and the basketball games and the sporting events, they played the Star-Spangled Banner. And everyone stood like this or like this. Today, you see a lot of the professional athletes and others as well, they're lounging around or chewing gum or smoking. They're not paying attention. And often even the singer that sings it. It sings in a real sassy, jazzy manner. Not a respectful manner at all. The Star-Spangled Banner. So that's what is happening today. We have a lack of pride, but we're going to have it a lot more. I will break the pride of your power. And brethren, as things get much, much worse in Iraq, and I think the turning point is coming right now, because the Sunni Arabs are rejecting the new constitution upon this whole thing is based, and they're fighting it, they're arguing, and over the next several weeks or a few months, we may see this whole thing fragment, and we may see America hated and despised even more. We may see President Bush having to pull in his horns and get out of there to even save the Republican Party in the next election, and still may not save it. We may see the American debt continuing to skyrocket, we may see the American dollar to Kenya to get less and less and less valuable. All these things are going to happen to our nation to bring us down. And the Europeans will smirk at us. The cowboy from Texas is running us. They'll say, that's not my attitude. I like Mr. Bush. I like his personality. I think he's a masculine, normally decent guy, but he's not called of God. He doesn't understand either. He has several known homosexuals. At the mid-cabinet level in his administration, that's been written about many times, and they name their names, and so on. He permits a lot. He, too, is a politician. He's not a saint. Let's remember that. He, too, is a politician. So we've got to understand, a lot of things are happening, and they're going to get much, much worse, and God will break this nation and humble us and push our face right down in the mud. And I don't like that. I ran away from home at age 14 to join the Marines. I saw to the shores of Tripoli with John Wayne and Marina and Her hair was flying in the breeze, and John Wayne was wearing his Marine dress uniform. I thought, that's going to be me, and I ran away. I ran away 500 miles, and they sent me back home again. I didn't make it. I was just 14 and a half. A few guys in, who were older, two or three years older, lied about their age and got in. I didn't. So I'm not afraid of battle, I got this right here in the bloodiest bout in Joplin Globe Gold, Golden Gloves Tournament history. I know my mother, my sister, remember, she was kind of scared. She didn't like it. <laughs> she didn't like for me to be a boxer. But that's what I was for a while. I enjoyed violence like most young men do. I don't anymore. I'm getting too old. I have to be more careful. <laughs> I used to say if I can't outfight him, I can outrun him, because I was a track man too. Now I'll have to get out my spiritual sword and wave the Bible at it or something. (laughs) Anyhow, but I don't enjoy that. I love our nation. I remember the wonderful things God has given us. But it's not going to be fun stuff, brethren. God is going to teach us a lesson that we have never learned before to fear the God of Israel, to fear the God of creation, to have a profound awe of the great God who gives us life and breath and as the Americans come back from the coming concentration camps they'll be saying like I did after my father whipped me down in the basement that time I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they will be sorry then finally. But they're not very sorry now. But they will be. And they will finally decide to do what God says and quit arguing. So we let, need to understand that. These things are very real and they're beginning to build a head of steam just in front of us. So let's do understand and see where things are headed in that way. Uh, Here in the morning's paper, this morning's paper, Constitution heads for Iraq Parliament and uh, Shiites, Kurds back document besides strong opposition from the Sunnis. I don't need to read it to you. I've already given the essence of it. But there have been many articles coming out showing the Sunnis by the hundreds of thousands are rejecting this and it's leading to civil war. And the Americans may have to finally just cut and run and get out of there and leave those people to have at it. And that will make us look bad also. So it's going to be a terrible thing and hurt the pride of our power and our national prestige. The growing hatred against the United States all through the Muslim world, over one billion people, hundreds of millions of Europeans, as Mr. Apartheid knows, already smirk and sneer at us and our ways. That's going to grow people in Central and South America, the Catholic nations there the same way and all around the world. God is going to humble us. Finally, you read in Jeremiah chapter 30, and turn with me there if you would, Jeremiah chapter 30. What lies ahead? Brethren, most of you know, we've said so many times, both Ezekiel and Jeremiah... And all historians and Bible scholars understand this. Both books were written over 100 years after ancient Israel went into captivity. And so it would be as though I was saying there's going to be a second world war and America, you know, was saying that, you know, uh, well, or there's, I should say going to be a civil war in the United States now and the civil war took place, you know, many years ago. No, it's not. Jeremiah is talking and Ezekiel is talking about a yet future war, a yet future captivity for Israel, not the previous one. Jeremiah 30 verse 4, now these are the words the Eternal spoke concerning Israel and Judah, the two different nations. Israel was fighting Judah and Judah was fighting Israel many times in the Bible as they became two different peoples. For thus says the Eternal, we've heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace, describes every man bent over, scared to death, all faces turned pale. Verse 7, Alas, that day is great, so that none is like it. No other time in human history. That ties in exactly with what Jesus said about the great tribulation. Matthew 24, 21, A time of trouble so great, there's never been a time like it, no, nor ever shall be. None is like it whose trouble is it? It's a time of Jacob's trouble, our trouble on modern Israel. He shall be saved out of it though, but boy, does he get into it first, for it'll come to pass in that day that I will break his yoke from your neck. A yoke of slavery is going to be put on our people to humble them and teach them a lesson they have never learned before. The French, the Dutch, the Belgians, the Danes, many of those people went into limited slavery, some of them total slavery, in the concentration camps along with the Jews, under Adolf Hitler. But Americans have never known that. Britons have never known that in modern times. But we will. We will. Unless we repent and turn back to the laws of the God of heaven. He will be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day that I will break His yoke and will burst your bonds, God says to us, foreigners shall no more enslave them. The new King James, slavery, no more enslave them, but they shall serve the eternal their God and David their king. What time is this? The time of the resurrection from the dead. When King David is resurrected and made king over all Israel, as you read about in Ezekiel 37 and many other places, whom I will raise up for them. Yes, David will be raised up again from the dead. Therefore, He says, Don't be afraid. I'll bring your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and be in quiet. And He says down in verse 14, All your lovers, your allies, have forgotten you. The nations we thought would fight with us, they've forgotten us. I've wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one. Why? God explains, For the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. We've got more into adultery, more into fornication, and now we're even legalizing homosexuality. We're legalizing same-sex marriage, which is a stench in the nostrils of the God of the Bible who makes that very, very clear. We need to understand, brethren, these are not small things that are happening. We just take it for granted. If that had been talked about 50 years ago or 100 years ago, my mother and her friends would have thought that could never happen in our land. They couldn't imagine such a thing as that. But it's happened already right during my lifetime and yours. So let's understand. Let's turn now to Ezekiel 33. Here is our job. Here is our commission, if you want to look at it this way. Ezekiel was also written after over a hundred years after Israel's first captivity. And he said in verse 1, When I bring the sword upon a land, the people take a man to make him a watchman. And we have tens of thousands of people backing us, I think you say all together, sending us a little bit of money here and there. And many thousands backing us as co-workers and donors, regularly, 10 or 12,000. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, they take warning. But if the watchman, verse 6, sees the sword coming, does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. We've been given understanding. We've been given knowledge. We have responsibility. So you, verse 7, son of man, I have made you. And it's not just a human being anymore, brethren. Really, as Mr. Armstrong explained, it's the church. The church is the body of Christ. God doesn't just use one man in the New Testament primarily. He uses the church. I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. Many of these other groups that we're familiar with know about this. But some are not sure who is Israel and they're not getting the message out. It's up to us. It's up to us or it will not properly be done. I think you understand that. We've got to do it and we will have an everlasting reward if we warn these people out here, a lot of fine people. They don't mean to be mean. They're just deceived. They go along with the around and the around is all the society they're part of. Let's warn them. Let's help them. Let's say we realize you're out there. You're deceived. You don't understand. Here's the truth, the truth, the truth. Please understand. And try to help them in every way we can before it's too late. Turn back to Matthew 10. Jesus, Matthew 10, 1. He called the 12 disciples, gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Then He names the apostles first. Simon called Peter. He was their leader. He's mentioned first. First. And then Andrews, James, others. And then he sends them out and he says in verse 6, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the coming kingdom or government of God. Number two, heal the sick. God's true ministers are to heal the sick and we need to have more faith and more power in that three, cast out demons. We don't encounter a lot of demons, even as many as we used to back in Mr. Armstrong's day. And I was there and helped cast out demons and have on occasion myself personally. But we will, as they close down the mental institutions because of the terrible financial disasters coming on our county governments and state governments as one of our former minister said who had a doctorate in psychology from the outside university. He said they're warehousing these demons. Tens of thousands. Not all people in mental institutions have demons at all, but some do. They have these split personalities. They can speak a language they never studied. Weird things that human beings normally don't do. There's a spirit there. It's not a human spirit. And they're going to be out roaming around more than ever a few years from now. We need that Power. And so He tells them to go out and preach all over. And He says in verse 22, You will be hated. It's a continuing prophecy and commission when you understand it. This chapter 10, verse 22, You, that's us, will be hated by all, you see, for My name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. God will allow persecution to come on us. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He was already right there when He said that. He's not talking about His first coming, but His second coming. We will not have fully finished the job. You see what I mean? We've got to do a lot more. We've got to reach the big cities of this earth every way we can, and then reach all the other outlying areas as best we can. To some extent, we'll try to reach India and China Indonesia, the Muslim world through the Internet, other people as much as we possibly can. It's up to God to give us the power, to give us the money, to give us the resources, to give us the ministers. We need to pray fervently, brethren, that God will give us more ministers. I'm so grateful that we have so many fine, younger men here in the ministry today. The very fine, young minister you just heard in the excellent sermonette today. And, uh, you know, is... is, uh, he's a lot younger than i am at least he's not in his in his 30s i guess you're in the 40s by now i believe but very young 43 so he's just in his early 40s and to my mind he's a young man <laughs> and i'm glad he is we need more younger ministers we have mr charles of Wynn, who's in his 30s we have mr jonathan mcnair still in his 30s for another few months i guess or a year or whatever you turn 40 already oh my anyway <laughs> <laughs> Rodman, now, I know he's in his 30s. <laughs> and we have, of course, uh, Sheldon Munson, who's here in his 30s. And, uh, and uh, the uh, other young man, re- mistaken, I referred to his wife, uh, uh, saying to us, Mike Ellerson, who was here in training a while ago and now serving in the ministry up in Canada. I was counting this morning in my mind about eight or ten young men that are all newly ordained in the ministry. Very grateful but we need about 80 or 100, not just 8 or 10. (laughs) Pray that God will give them to us. He can. He can. And pray that God will provide the resources that we need to have an impact on this world. We've got a huge job to do, a massive job to do. And I know if we do our part, God will help us do that job. So Jesus sent them out and sold them to do these things. We will not have finished the job, He said, he said you will not have gone over the cities of Israel but the, t- the job will then be finished perhaps to the extent God wants it to by the two witnesses and they will be able to have supernatural power to do the job I was telling the ministers the other day and for those of you ministers who didn't get it the first time you can write it down now I foresee four stages of things that have got to happen this might help and be of interest to all of you brethren and you brethren around the world who hear this later Four stages of things that will happen. Number one, we as the church of God must truly spend more time on our knees before God praying, meditating, fasting, studying, crying out to God. We've got to be more totally surrendered to God to give our hearts, our minds, our lives, our time, our treasures, our resources our energies, everything we have to God, to know that we belong to God, that we're conquered by God more fully than we are now. We all need that as a church. Then as we grow in that and grow in grace and in knowledge, the second stage will and already is clicking in because God is merciful and we're growing to some extent but not as much as we should. Then we've got to add more television stations Perhaps get on more radio stations not just with Mr. Apartheid and Mr. Hernandez but get a German broadcaster, an Italian and and get more men involved maybe even doing an English broadcast all over the world to have greater impact. Use the internet far more powerfully. And we've got to preach the gospel far more powerfully in every way we possibly can. Got our subscription list up over a million eventually, our hardcore subscription. Maybe many millions according to God's mercy, plus the soft list we have now, which they didn't used to have, you know, over the Internet. Thirdly, then I know, as He's already beginning to do again, but He's going to do far more powerfully, God will intervene and shake the nations. And we will have massive floods and massive disease epidemics and massive drought and earthquakes and all kinds of things to humble our people and help them be willing to listen, to listen in a way they're not willing to now. And the great God will do that more and more. And I'm not talking about 30 years from now. I'm not talking over the next 5 or 10 years. That's what I feel. Over the next 5 or 10 years, those will start to happen with increasing power. And some of it within the next 2 to 4 years for that matter. And then, fourthly, We will need the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. You know where I'm going, but let's review this. And I hope all of us can pray about this. The last chapter of Mark, Mark 16, verse 14. After His resurrection, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who'd seen Him. His own disciples still didn't believe, lack of faith. And he said, "Go unto all the world. That's our job too. All the world, and preach the gospel to every creature, every one we possibly can. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned or judged." These signs, then Jesus said, "Shall follow those who believe." Didn't say the apostles but those who believe in my name they will cast out demons I have done that on occasion I've been with Mr. Armstrong where there's no question an evil spirit was there and it went out they will speak with new tongues we have not done that we're not going to speak in and gibberish like the so-called Pentecostal people but genuinely speaking in a foreign language as the need arises and God will grant that I know in time that's the least of the gifts as Paul clearly shows in 1 Corinthians 14 but nevertheless it may be important they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing if by accident like Paul did you handle a snake or accidentally drunk poison drunk poison God will protect you and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover and I've often asked all over the world brethren and I mean this in Australia and in Britain and elsewhere in Canada occasionally how many of you have genuinely been healed let me ask you today and you new people look on and I don't want anyone to lie liars don't enter God's kingdom let me just warn you that but how many of you here in the church have either experienced yourself or know someone in your family or closest friends who were genuinely healed not by starving a cold and you got over the cold after a week you can drown the cold in orange juice. You know what I'm mean? saying? That's not supernatural healing. I'm talking about the intervention from God. How many of you sincerely feel that you've experienced or know that that has happened? Raise your hand. The rest of you look around. Looks like about three-fourths of us here. All right. Well, that's happened all over. We have had thousands of healings in our time, and we can be very grateful to the great God that's given us that. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, had spoken to them, He was received up in heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Our Savior is right there at God's right hand, our living head. And they went out and preached everywhere the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living head of the church, working with them and confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. And brethren, all the way through the New Testament you find that God would back up that by signs. People are human. And when they see those miracles, they're much more likely to believe. So again, that's why we have to get closer to God. And I ask all you brethren and all your brethren around the world, please grant, please pray that God would grant us more of those gifts. Pray that God will help us learn every lesson, overcome every problem, draw closer to Him, and give us faith, the faith of Jesus, real faith, ringing faith to totally believe God that He will then give us those gifts that people outside may know that there is a real God, a real God, and that that real spirit personality has genuine ministers, genuine servants on this earth that are true servants of the living God because they've seen those signs, you see, that helps them understand because they're carnal. They need some physical evidence. We need that. We need to pray for that. We need to fast for that. We need to cry out for that. So let's do that, brethren. Turn with me now, if you would, back to chapter 12 of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, and I'm going to begin in verse 7. Here we read the final battle between Satan and God. I heard another angel from under the altar. I'm sorry, I turned the wrong page here. It says in verse 7, Revelation 12, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. He threw them back down. So Satan was cast down, who deceives the whole world. He says clearly the whole world is deceived. Verse 9, He was cast to the earth. And so the accuser of our brethren was cast down. Verse 10, And they overcame him, the saints, but the blood of the Lamb. And therefore rejoice... Verse 11, O heavens and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Now the great tribulation quickly begins because he knows he has but a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, as she described in the first few verses. The true church of God... Starting with ancient Israel, the church in the wilderness then becomes the Church of God. Satan persecutes the true church of God. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle to fly to her place in the wilderness, her place where she is protected or nourished for three and a half years. The serpent spewed water back in Daniel 9:26 and in Isaiah 59:19 you find references to water as a flood. Use that very way. A flood after the woman. Armies trying to destroy the true church of God from this beast power. The earth helped the woman, opened her mouth, swallowed up the flood, and the dragon, verse 17, Satan the devil, was enraged. Man, Satan hates this church. Any of God's people he hates. But by this time, the true zealous people of God are taken to this place of safety for three and one half years and those who are laid to sin those who are lukewarm those who are comfortable yet they know the truth but they're lukewarm they're still behind but he hates them too because they have kept the commandments and so he goes after whomever he can and he goes after them and went rage with them and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And that's what all of us need to do. As he says over in Revelation 14, Revelation 14 verse 12, here is the patience of the saints, the true saints of God. Here are those who keep the commandments, plural, of God, not some new commandments of Jesus. We're to keep those two, of course, but they simply magnify the ten the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's a possessive form, not faith in Jesus, but faith of Jesus. That sense of knowing and totally believing what God says, even unto death. All right, that's the kind of faith we have to have. And now let's turn to Revelation chapter 3, if you would. Revelation chapter 3, brethren. And here we find In the first few verses, the Sardis church identified as a dead church. You have the name of God, but you're dead, he says. And then in verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the next to the last era, and we are the continuation of that era. And men like Mr. Apartheid and Mr. McNair and Mr. Ames and I and others of us older men, Mr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Torrance, who came with us first early on, very dedicated Dr. Lochner and Mr. Sid Hegbold, an early on person who worked with Mr. Armstrong and taught in the colleges, all those men came with us. Far more came with the living church than any other group who were willing to leave. Carrying on that work, they saw that vision of what God was doing and where God is working. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these things he says, who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, David is going to be the king over all Israel. It has to do with government. And he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And all of you, I think, in the church know how that's used. Everywhere that's used, it indicates an opportunity to preach the truth. A new television station, new radio station, more magazines, the internet, new doors, new ways to get out the work. No one can shut it. Some people say, oh, the work is over. Oh, it is? How come God has got us all across the world now on radio and television? How come the response is growing? How come Mr. Jonathan Manera has 40, and I guess it is, 40 visiting requests? That's really great. He's going to be busy for the next 40 days visiting a new person every day, plus his rent, I'm kidding. But anyway, it's going to take a lot of work to get to all those people and all those boroughs around Manhattan and the other places finally this is beginning to click it's going to click in a lot more in the future brethren I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it you have a little strength you better believe we have a little strength we're tiny but God will lift us far above what we ourselves can do and have kept my word that's the point the truth the truth the truth who has the truth who teaches the truth that's the key you kept My word and have not denied My name, My authority. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, these false Christians, to come and bow down. And because you've kept My command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial. My brethren, I know we'll go through trials and tests. I'm sorry we've had to go through some this early on, but the ones ahead are much worse. You know that. But He says, persevere. And I will keep you then... From the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. That is the great tribulation. To test. He tests us. He's given us some tests already. To test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly. And thank God He is coming quickly. Hold fast that you have. Don't try to change everything around. Don't water down the truth. Continue to keep the commandments, the holidays, the basic way of life and do the work as you've been taught. Hold fast that you have that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, if we really overcome and grow, I will make him a pillar. We're not just to be on the fringes of God's government. We in this church age, if we're still Philadelphians, if we're filled with zeal, if we're willing to go out and lay our lives down and do the work of God all over this earth and help shake the nations, warn Israel, do everything God wants us to, we can be at the very center of God's government. We can be pillars in the temple of God. And He shall go out no more. And I will write on Him my the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and my new name, indicating our authority, our office, the authority and power and glory that we will share. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brethren, our reward is absolutely awesome if we go all out. Whatever you do, do with your might. Have zeal. He condemns that last era in these next few verses because of what? Wrong doctrine? No. Sin? No. Because they are lukewarm. Nice people have some of the truth, most of the truth, but they are lukewarm. Don't be that way. So let's be Philadelphian. Our reward is awesome as members of the family of God, as pillars forever and ever, our faces shining like the sun. In the end, as Mr. Armstrong said, we win and we can thank God for that. So that is our future if we remain truly faithful and truly zealous as Philadelphians in the living church of God at the time of the end.